0: Acts 11, Uh, as we get into our our lesson, I want to just very quickly look over some of the questions, you know, for those in the class uh, for for this particular uh, session of study. And so I've selected four questions from your question sheets, you know, for the members here. And question two, a very simple answer. To whom was the Lord's word being preached besides Jews, are we told in Acts 11? Okay, the Gentiles or the Greeks in verse, chapter, uh, question three, excuse me, what was the result of the preaching of the gospel in Antioch? What happened? Right. They were turning to the Lord. Those that were becoming believers turned to the Lord because of the proclamation of the gospel in that city. What were the disciples of Christ newly called? Christians. And so at this point on, you know, God's people. Uh, are recognized and identified as Christians. And last question from your question sheet, uh, number nine, what do the Christians decide to do when they receive news about a famine? They're going to send relief to the Christians down in the region of Judea. And so we'll be looking at some of those points as we get into our material this morning. As we, as we study the book of Acts, you know we've kind of been using this particular verse as our outline uh, as we break down the various chapters. And so we're getting into the section now where the gospel is going to begin to spread uh, to the uttermost parts or the remotest parts of the earth. And in our particular section today in Acts 11, what we find is that Luke actually kind of goes back a little bit and and connects what is said in Acts 11 to this dispersion of Christians, to this scattering of Christians out of the city of Jerusalem. And so the preaching of the gospel in Acts 11, and these Christians going up to these northern areas in, in that particular part of the world, was actually transpiring while the events of Acts 9 into chapter eleven, occurring, and so you know we need to understand there. There is an overlap that you know Luke is kind of trying to help us see the magnitude of the work of the Lord that's being done by God's people as they spread and share the gospel with others. And so, very quickly, I want to since our our study day is is you know not a long read, reading. I want to take the time to read verses nineteen through thirty with you today. So in Acts 11, beginning in verse 19 through 30, is our text of study. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were were some of them... Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year, They met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And so we, we, we you know, want to go back and kind of look at our text here as we kind of introduce you know, our discussion for this today. When you think about the particular region that they're talking about, you mentioned how they went up to this northern area. Uh, So they, yeah, originally they're all scattering from the city of Jerusalem, which is down in the area of Palestine at that time was called Judea. And so they're leaving that and they're working northward. And so the gospel has, has reached Samaria, and we see that happening earlier on in the book of Acts. So now he says, okay, they're, they're going to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Well, Phoenicia, if you're able to kind of see on the map, as you go up the coast of the Mediterranean there, Phoenicia is a, is a northern coastal region along the sea, and it is actually part of Syria, So the modern territory, that's known still today as Syria, now some of that land borders have changed somewhat, but Phoenicia was part of Syria, that was the particular country, but that was the region, the coastal region. Then he mentions about Cyprus, well Cyprus is that island, you know, just kind of east there, uh, excuse me, west, west of the, the coastal region of Phoenicia, south of of what in the New Testament is called as Asia Minor, which is the area of modern Turkey today, and so uh, so it was also going to that. You know, so they're leaving they're leaving the uh, the the continent of of Asia here, and now they're going you know, you know, westward as well. And can anybody remember who do we know already in the Book of Acts that is from Cyprus? There's Barnabas. Barnabas, you know, know, which is introduced earlier and talked about as well in this in this text too, is from that 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 island. And so the gospel is going there and and then eventually goes to the region a city called Antioch, which was part of the country of Syria. Uh, At this particular time it is considered the Roman capital of Syria. Uh, It it was along the Orontes River that emptied into the Mediterranean Sea. And so it was pretty significantly placed. It's not on the coast, but it's fairly close to the coast. And so it became a major city. Uh, It it was built uh, by Seleucus Nicanor and was named after his father Antiochus. And at this particular time, some scholars estimate uh, that it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And considered in these early centuries, like first and second centuries, it was considered the Gate of the East. And so this is a pretty significant place to think about the gospel reaching this area, being uh, uh, that gospel being sown, souls being converted to Christ, and so now you've got Christians, you got a church in this region, and they will become a, a church and a people that's going to send more people out in the proclamation of the gospel. And so you have this region kind of described to us in, the, in chapter 11 of the second half, but he says, but there's a particular group, you know, that left Jerusalem that began preaching to these Greeks or Gentiles or Hellenists that are talked about here in chapter 11. And he says, and there were men of Cyprus and men of Cyrene. Now, we've already identified Cyprus as that kind of circled island there west of the Mediterranean, that top left map. Um, But Cyrene, if you come down, you know, kind of at the bottom of the second right map on the PowerPoint, Cyrene is actually a city and a region That was part of the country Libya, which is part of Africa. And so you had Christians who were from both of these locations, who have scattered from, they've left Jerusalem because of the persecution, and they're moving northward. And there's a group of them who began preaching the gospel to Greeks, to people that in the context of Acts 11, they're non-Jews. For example, in verse, you know, verse 21, you have some, they were, only, they were only preaching to Jews, kind of fellow kinsmen. Yeah. But then in verse 20, he says, but some of them from these two areas, Cyprus and Cyrene, when they got to Antioch, they began to preach to people who were not Jews. And so you have a group of non-Jews who are now hearing the gospel by the work of these New Testament Christians. Now remember, back in Acts 2, when you have the gospel being preached for the first time after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so Jesus is back in heaven at the right hand of his Father, and the apostles are going to preach the gospel there in the city of Jerusalem. That's the starting point. And it talks about the representation of Jews... In the city on this holy day, Pentecost, and in that description, there were people. There were Jews who had come to Jerusalem to worship from Cyrene, and so you kind of kind of need, need to connect some of these dots. That there were Cy- there were Cyrenians in Jerusalem in Acts two, and now there are some Cyrenians, you know who are Christians now, who have traveled from Jerusalem all the way up to this northern city of Antioch, which is the third largest city of the Roman Empire. Pretty significant. When you think about the Great Commission, and the Great Commission of Jesus was you're to preach the gospel to whom? Everybody, right? To all nations, to every creature. And so we are beginning to see God's word being carried out. God's plan is being fulfilled. Now, Acts does not tell us, you know, whether or not the this group of people that are preach, who have begun to preach to non Jews, they're going to share the gospel to other people too. You know, so Acts right now does not tell us. Well, had they heard about you know, the conversion of Cornelius' household? You know, had, did they hear about Peter's great defense for the grace of God being shared with Gentiles? Did they hear about those things? Well, Acts doesn't tell us if they did or didn't. So we don't know for sure. We don't know if these Cyrenians and uh, Cyprian Christians had heard about what happened in Acts 10, you know, or what happened uh, at the first part of Acts 11, because, you know, they these Christians left Jerusalem back in Acts 8. Now, word does travel, you know, and so they could have heard that, you know. But we don't know. And so that's just for, some, for you uh, to kind of think about. And you can kind of come to your own kind of personal you know, conclusion, whether they did or didn't. But the point is, the Great Commission is being carried out. And the Great Commission from the very beginning was that you were to go to all the world, you know, to all nations... You know, no matter what their ethnicity was, no matter what their race was, the gospel is for everybody. And you've got a group of men here who are understanding that. And so they're sharing it with people who are non-Jews. Now, you know, what, were the, what was their ethnicity? What was their nationality? Well, you're talking about the third largest town in, in the empire of Rome. And so, in that number, there probably are uh, Syrians. You know, that's kind of obvious. You're in the country of Syria, so you probably have some Syrians. But if you're talking about a metro city, you know, you think about you know the, the, the large metro cities of the United States and the kind of uh, you know, representation of different people in those cities. You know, and so there could have been representation of all kinds of nationalities in the city of Antioch, that are non-Jews. And now they're having the opportunity to hear the gospel preached. And so that's really the point of this second half of Acts 11, is the fact that the gospel of Christ is now converting more receptive hearts. Hearts that are open to the gospel. And And the first thing that's happening is, is that message is being preached. The word of the Lord is being preached even in Antioch now, the Roman capital of Syria. The gospel is being preached. It is it is the power of God to save those who believe. Romans 1:16. But you think about that idea and you know, is the emphasis that is being placed here that okay, these people got up there, and they didn't just got there. Okay, we're 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 fleeing the persecution in Jerusalem, so we're up here in the city, you know, and we're just we're just uh, kind of taking refuge. That's not what that's not what they're doing. They're not just you know escaping the persecution and taking refuge some other place, you know, and hiding out. What they're doing, there's, yes, they have left the persecution, but they've taken the word with them. And they're sowing the word of the kingdom of God everywhere and to everyone now. So they're not hiding here. They're very much becoming you know, public, you know, visible in, in the things that they are doing and in the things that they are saying. But the preaching of the word is what has to take place. Do you remember what, for example, I've got a couple passages up here just for you to, uh, to think about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it talks about God's wisdom. And it really has a contrast between the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men. You've got two wisdom being contrasted. And what does it say about God's wisdom and God's word? What does he say about the wisdom of God and his word? You can paraphrase that. What did God's wisdom decide to do? Bruce? Yes. And so you have the wisdom of God is far greater than man's wisdom. And it has the power and the ability to convict the heart of men. And God's wisdom has decided he's going to do that through what means? Through the preaching of the word. yeah. That's how God is going to convert. It's going to be through the message. It's not going to be through, through forced obedience. It's not going to be through, I'm going to kill you if you don't obey the gospel. Well, no. You know, it's not that kind of spread that you're forcing. No, it has to win the hearts of the individuals. So it's going to be through the message of Jesus Christ, about who Jesus is and about what Jesus commands us to do. And so the word has to be preached, and that's what's going on here. Romans 10 talks about how, where does your faith come from? It comes from hearing the word of God. And so if there's going to be more believers added to Christ in Antioch of Syria... You know, the means by which that has to occur is through the preaching of the word of the Lord. Through the power of God's will and mind that is that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what these Cyrenian and Cyprian Christians were doing. He said they got to the city and they preached the word. That's what they did. They preached the word. You cannot, you, we should never diminish the power of the word. Yeah. You know, you need to preach the word. That's what's going to convert souls. You know, that's what's going to change hearts. And you can try to suggest all kind of other little things to add to you. Know, how, to, you know, how to draw people in. And well, let, let us, Let's kind of you know, do this for them. Let's provide them some entertainment. Let us provide them all of these various so-called ministries. That will not save them. Those things are not the power of God to save souls. What's going to save them is the word of the Lord and that's exactly what's happening in Acts here, chapter 11, even in this way far north city of Antioch. So now, the Christians were doing the preaching. I really like this phrase that is inserted in this account. Remember, Luke is a Christian. Yeah, He did not eyewitness Jesus Christ, but he is, he is a Christian who, who ha, knows and has interacted with those who, who were eyewitnesses of Christ and the things previously that occurred. And so he is compiling by the direction of the Holy Spirit, he's compiling this accurate account concerning the things pertaining to Christ and his word and his gospel. And so he says, okay, this is what's happening this is what the Christians were doing. This is how the, how the church grew. This is how the, how the gospel spread. But in verse 21, it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Think about that. The Christians are doing the preaching. Yeah. You know, God has chosen, once you go to the idea of the wisdom, God, it is God's wisdom has chosen that the preaching of the message is gonna convict an honest heart. Yeah. It's the word of the Lord that's going to convert the heart. But how are you going to get that heart, how are you going to get that word to them? Well, that's where it's the messengers of that word, and it's going to be God's people. Christians are going to have to do be the voice through which God works. But to me, it's interesting as he talks about this idea of the you know, this is what what's going on, this is what they're what they're doing. But the hand of the Lord was 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 uh with them. The point I simply want to make is that, you know is this question. Who? The bottom line is, who was bringing the increase? God. Now God was working through Christians. He's working through his people. And they need to be busy doing the Lord's work and doing the Lord's business. But the bottom line is, it's God who's bringing the increase. The hand of the Lord was with them. Antioch was fertile soil and God knew that. And God, through his uh, people and through the message of God being spoken by his people, God was bringing increase. Souls are being converted to the Lord. And so we see the the significance of God's word in this, but also the point that's made here is a believer has to turn. Believers must turn to the Lord. And so, yeah, so you've you've got an audience that's hearing the gospel, and it says, you know, and a large number who believed. So you're, you're convicting them from unbelief to belief. So they're, they're going from perhaps you know, being idolaters you know, in the ancient world. Idolatry was still very prevalent. You know, and he had all kinds of, of Greek gods that were you know, you know, worshipped and, and followed. And so, you know, some of them are coming out of idolatry. You know, there could have been more Jews also being converted in this, in this number. And so you've got people coming out of Judaism, you know, coming to understand who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel. And so you have these people coming from unbelief to belief, but belief requires turning. He says those, you know, he, they're preaching the gospel and those who heard, right, well, they, they believed And turned to the Lord. A converting or a saving faith takes action. A converting and saving faith takes action. But the action that has to be taken must be in harmony with, has to be in harmony with God's word, with what the truth that is being preached. Yeah. And so you think the idea to turn clearly means, you know, okay, I made a change. yeah But in the context of the gospel of Christ, it involves, okay, I made a change, but I made a change to obey the Lord. See, notice they're turning, they're changing, but who are they turning to? Who are they changing for? It's the Lord, that's why. They've come to know who the Son of God is. And, and they have now been convinced of what is the ramifications of knowing and believing Jesus is the Son of God, you know, and therefore He is deity reigning at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. What's the ramification of that? Well, that means I owe Him my allegiance. I owe Him my obedience. If you recall, for example, just quick, like an example there in Acts three, we you know. Earlier on, when the preaching is being done, still in Jerusalem, back in Acts three verse nineteen, it talks about the same idea of turning. You know where, and in that audience, it would have been it would have been Jews. These were Jews that were being were being converted first. You know, but so they they, they are now, they're being convinced by the gospel by the power of the word. They begin convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. But once convinced. Then you got to turn. And so it talks about how Peter was preaching with John here, two, two of the apostles. He says, therefore, they commanded, repent and return, or repent and turn, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so what was happening in Antioch is the same thing that happened in Jerusalem. Once the word is preached, and there are hearts that are honest and open to the truth of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us, and therefore, and what, what is my condition without him in my life? He says, believers turned to the Lord. And so these teachers in Acts 11 are basically telling others the same thing that the apostles told them to do. They're not teaching a different message. They're teaching the same message of how you, know, you have to believe and turn to the Lord. And so for that reason, you have this large number. And we're not given you know, what, you know, what that number was. It was a growing number. You know, could it have been in the thousands like in the city of Jerusalem? Yes, it could have been. We just don't know. Yeah, we just know that you have, you know, for example, in verse 21, a large number believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, verse 24, considerable numbers were brought you know, to the Lord. Uh, and verse 25, you know, you, you're ongoing the idea of the considerable numbers that are being taught. These You, know, so you had a considerable number of Christians who are being taught you know, the word of the Lord. And so you've got a very fertile area where there are Many new Christians, you know, who are now added to the Lord, the Lord's people, the Lord's church, they're citizens of the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. And because of this great work, and once again, at this point in Acts eleven here, at this point, you know, it, it's simply these new these Christians have left Jerusalem, are doing all this work yet. You don't introduce, you know, Barnabas until verse 22. So all of this is going on, you know, and it's an exciting field to be in. And so the news somehow gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they hear about the great things these brethren were doing in bringing people to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. And And you have great numbers turning to the Lord. And so... You know, the apostles hear about this and they say, okay, well, we need to send someone up there to help those brothers out. And so they send the son of encouragement to this newly established con- congregate of disciples. And that's Barnabas. That's what the name Barnabas means, son of encouragement. And so, you know, the apostles, it, it, by you know, the, the direction of the Holy Spirit and by their, the, the wisdom they have in Christ now, they choose, okay, this is great, You know, this is what the Lord wants, but they need more workers up there. And so Barnabas is sent, you know, he, in their judgment, he is the best man for this job. These new babes in Christ, they're going to need a lot of encouragement as they begin making the changes in the life and live their life for Jesus. And he's described, for example, here in, in chapter 11, verse 24, he's described as a good man, full of the Spirit and of faith. Does that sound like anybody else you know, you've been told about? It should. Someone else in the book of, of Acts is described very similarly. Who, is it? Who was it? Stephen. Stephen now, Stephen, you know, he's the first martyr for Christ. And so he remember, he was stoned to death by Jews because he was preaching Jesus. And a number of Jews didn't like what he was saying and so you have this kind of mob-like situation and they drive him out of the city and they stone Stephen. Well, Barnabas is like a Stephen. He's a good man and full of the Spirit and of faith and it's for that reason you have the apostle okay we're going to send barnabas up to antioch now you know, when you think about it, you, know, you, know, the, you know you know it's a bit of a distance you know, you know it probably it wouldn't take you that long to go from jerusalem up to antioch by car even short you know quicker by plane but that's not how they traveled back then was it and so if you if you shrink that mac into more a a, a ratio that is fits within the globe You know, when you look on a map, you realize this region that so much history occurred, and this region which still so much modern political changes occur, is not a huge area geographically, but he goes all the way from Jerusalem all the way up to that northern city, Antioch, to encourage these new Christians. And encourage these Christians who have come into this new area and are preaching the word. And so he does. He gets up there. You look there in, in, in verse, you know, in verse uh, 23, he says, And when he arrived and, and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. What do you think about, very briefly, that expression? He witnessed the grace of God. He witnessed The grace of God. That means he saw something. If you witness something, you see it. You've seen it with your own eyes. And that's what Barnabas, when he got to Antioch, the work these Cyrenian and Cyprian Christians were doing, he saw these new brothers and sisters in Christ he now had in Antioch, he witnessed God's grace. The grace of God in that sense was visible. The grace of God was visible. And want you for a moment just think about how how can the grace of God be visible? Jonathan. In the ages to come, he might show, and therefore Barnabas and others can see the work the Lord has done because God is showing it to them, showing the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, and then of course by grace you've been saved. So when they turn to the Lord, God's grace would be seen uh, in that uh, change. Thank you very much, and, and that's and that's what I want to make the point I want you to make is okay. It's Ultimately, God is the one who's bring the increase, and it's the grace of God you know, that's at work here. And so, you know, you know, like Jonathan said, it's visible first of all, but the fact that change of hearts and change of lives. And so, you've got you know, grace. You know, there's grace in the conversion of sinners. When you see the conversion of sinners, that's grace that's just been manifested to you. I think another thing that also is implied in the whole context here of describing this new church in Antioch is also the idea of unity, the unity of the believers that's going on here. That's grace. When you see that kind of unity as described in Antioch, uh, you know, taking the, the, the opportunity of fertile soil and bringing more and more to Jesus, that's God's grace that is visible Another I think aspect as well is the idea of the proclamation of the gospel. The fact that they came here and were preaching and they kept on preaching the gospel, well that's God's grace at work. You know, in all those ways the grace of God is being manifested in this way. Brother Sam godliness and so on and so forth. So um, you're going to witness a change if people are truly uh, listening to the grace of God and following what it says to change, be converted, and like, like what you're saying, it, it should be evident. Yes, yes. Nathan, Redcross. Oh. I think <clears throat> one important thing to note is what exactly is grace? We're we're hearing, you know, the grace of God is changing these, understanding what that grace is, that it's not something that we ourselves deserve or any of these people deserved or earned. It was God's choice. It was God's desire for these people to hear this message, and it was his desire for these people's lives to be transformed. It was his choice. It wasn't anything that these people were doing to earn it. Yeah, God desires the salvation of all men, and it's for that reason. The gospel is preached, and he commands us to repent and turn to the Lord. And so I think it's just interesting to see this uh, idea of what is happening in a factual sense. And Luke, you know, telling us that, for example, 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And then, verse, you know, verse uh, 23 you know the grace of God is being witnessed, and I think that's you know, a very powerful point to think about. Another thing I wanted to you know, touch on as well is the idea of okay, you've got these new, you've got these new Christians, you've got these babes in Christ. It's a newly established body of, of believers and followers of Jesus. You know, and so these Christians are going to need encouragement. That's why Barnabas sent, and he says, and so they're going to need to be strengthened. To remain faithful. And so that's, you see that in verse 23. He, he arrived, he witnessed all the great things being done, he rejoiced, and he says, and he began to encourage them all to remain true with a resolute heart to the Lord. And so they've been converted, you know, but now they need to be encouraged or exhorted to remain faithful, to remain true to the Lord. What does that imply? If, if they're being told or being encouraged or taught to remain true to the Lord, what does that imply? Right. Yes, you can also remain, become untrue to the Lord. If you're, if you're being taught and trying to be strengthened to be true to the Lord, you're now a child of God. Remain true to him. The implication is without you know, diligent uh, alertness, you know, you can become untrue. You can become unfaithful. And so that's why he's encouraging them to set their minds, you know, with a steadfast purpose to keep the faith. You now, what does is, what is the Apostle Paul say about uh, himself when he's near death in Second Timothy chapter 4? What had Paul kept? He had kept the faith, yes. He says, you know, you know I, I have. Yeah, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so therefore, there is a crown you know, waiting for me, you know, laid up for me from God. Because he had kept the faith. And so that's what Barnabas is trying to encourage these new Christians. It's an exciting time. You know. Uh, there is this spiritual, in a sense, uh, uh, adrenaline going on. And he's saying, but you need to remember, you need to know, you have to keep on cleaving or keep on remaining true to the Lord because, Bruce over here, because there is cost. And that cost involves some change, and the change can be hard, and there will be opposition that will come in the future, Brother Bruce.
1: And these times are so wonderful, and the grace of God, I see here too, is... In Acts 2 and in Acts 8 with the eunuch, there was a sense, as in verse 20, where they were preached Jesus. uh, There was a sense of urgency and immediacy, not only on the part of the sinner, but on the part of the preacher. Uh, That Philip, of course, he left, uh, he was doing a great job, but the Holy Spirit directed him to this one person who needed God's grace and understanding to take back with him. And so here, uh, the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit is sending preachers to where Jesus needs to be preached. Mm -hmm. He's reaching people. There's an urgency not only to preach to them and to save them, but to continue encouraging them. And and God always supplies uh, with urgency uh, to those in need. And I I just think that's a a wonderful comment from verse 20 in, in this chapter indeed. The power of preaching Jesus.
0: Yes, and I appreciate that very much. And, and that, I think that's the point that's trying to be made here. When you think about the the spread of the gospel and the growth of God's people throughout the world, the work you know, like I say, it ties into that. The work is of such nature that uh, you know Barnabas realizes it's okay. I need more, I need more workers. And so what Barnabas does, he he seeks out Saul uh, to join him. You know, here in the city of Antioch, and if you recall, at the end of chapter 9, uh, Luke tells us that you know, Saul, who was converted to Christ, you know, ends up going back to his hometown of what? Tarsus, and so he had gone back to Tarsus, which is up in the region of Asia Minor, that modern Turkey area, is where Saul would have been. And so Barnabas leaves Antioch here, that's in Syria, and he goes northward and westward to find uh, Saul, and he brings him back. And so he says, for a year, they worked here with this new congregation of Christ. And two things I want to point out in that is, one is, he says, they assembled with the church, and two, they taught the church. I think they're very, it's very important to kind of see in that simple statement, uh, the New Testament pattern that's being laid out here. And that is, first of all, the, the significance of saints, of Christians gathering together is a New Testament biblical pattern for God's people. You know, and it's for the well-being of us. It is for the well-being of Christians. And so you have a church there, but it's not a church, okay, you know, all these Christians, now they're just out there doing their own thing now. Well, no. There's a sense, okay, not, they've all been converted to Christ, and there is a gathering together of them. And so the church is, is already assembling and so Barnabas goes and says, "Oh, I need someone to work with me and the other workers for so we can continue to encourage these saints to uh, remain true to the Lord and to spread that truth to others as well. And you see that idea of the pattern even expressed, for example, over in Acts 20 verse 7 and just illustrate another example where in our walk as Christ, as Christians... You know the idea of the emphasis of disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, coming together. And that's illustrated with the Lord's Supper. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, they came together to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so you see, once again, this idea of here's a new church. But it wasn't just left out there kind of you know, meandering on its own. No, they're pulling together, working together. They're assembling together to do the things that are of Christ. And with that comes the importance of ongoing teaching. And so, yeah, we need to teach and convert souls, but new souls that have been converted need to be taught further. And that's what's going on here. You have Barnabas and Saul connected themselves for an entire year, you know, with the purpose of to teach that growing number, remember he said it's a considerable number. It is a it is a let me say it this way. It is a large church here in, in, in Antioch, and so Barnabas and Saul they work together to make sure that you know they're teaching this growing number of disciples. And you see, for example, in, in Ephesians four, as Paul writes to the church there of the importance of of the ongoing work of teaching. And so you look over, I'm going to just glance at a couple verses in that text where it emphasizes the, this idea, this point of the ongoing teaching. Uh, for example, verse 11 of the fourth chapter, it, it, we are introduced to God-ordained ministers, God-ordained servants in the body of Christ, and you got a number of individuals: who cry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. And he says, verse twelve, for the equipping or the building up of saints, for the building up of the body. You know, uh, in verse fifteen, speaking the truth in love, so that we are, so we'll grow up. And verse, six, you know, that's, that's fifteen, verse sixteen. Then, you know, fitted together, you know, with every which every joint supplies. You know, doing its proper work, you know, for what? For the growth of the body. And so you see the emphasis here of God's Word continuing to be uh, proclaimed not only outward but also inward. because you know we need to be grounded. We need to be, to grow in a true knowledge of Christ. You know, when we're not growing, we have a, you know, there's a tendency we're going to start slipping backward. And so, and then you have in verse 26 that that they are first identified as Christians in this city, and what an honor that is. Think about that. What an honor it is for you to identify your chosen allegiance to the one who is the Messiah, to the one who is the Christ, the anointed one of God. What an honor to be identified as that, that your allegiance is connected intricately to this. God-chosen one. And it's a very peculiar name, yes. And what should it do? It should reflect who your master is. It should reflect your purpose and your character. It should reflect your practice and your doctrines. And it's in Antioch that this kind of identity began to be used. Time's up for me. Sorry about that. We didn't quite finish our passage. But uh, we'll pick up the latter half of chapter 11, Lord willing, next week. And we'll get into chapter 12. Thank you so much for your attention.